it is good to be together, isn't it? I'm not going to talk about Moses today, um, but I would like to invite you to uh, think with me a little bit uh, about our theme for the summer. Uh, we're approaching the summer months, and uh, usually I try to think of uh, some messages that can kind of stand alone, because as I'm told that some people like to take vacation in the summer, and uh, people aren't here like every week. And so we try to find uh, a series of messages that uh, can kind of stand alone. And you probably already know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus uh, many times uses the phrase, I am. And he often, seven times, he attaches metaphors to the phrase, I am. Uh, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Uh, I am the true vine. And so forth. Seven times, Jesus claims to that name I am, and uh, you might remember when we studied Moses, uh, God says to Moses, I'm going to send you to my people Israel, and Moses says, you know, I'm going to go there, and they're going to ask me, well, who sent you, you know, and uh, God said, well, you can tell them I am who I am sent you. Tell them that I am sent you. So 23 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses that phrase, I am, and each one of those is a claim for him to be God. But when he attaches a metaphor to that claim to be God, uh, he's explaining the relationship between himself and people, us, uh, so that we can understand the kind of relationship uh, that God wants to have uh, with us. And uh, oftentimes, uh, Jesus would use sheep to talk about people. And so in John chapter 10, uh, where our theme verse for the summer comes from, uh, Jesus uses two of these metaphors. Two out of the seven are found in uh, chapter 10. And uh, Jesus makes this I am statement 23 times, actually, in the Gospel of John. So in John 10, Jesus is talking to Jewish people, Pharisees, kind of the elite of the Jewish people, at least they th thought so. And uh, they claim uh, to be followers of Moses. They're like, we know that God spoke to Moses. But this Jesus, we don't know where he's from. We don't know really where he's speaking from. In John chapter 9 and verse 29, you can read that. That's what they say. And he's talking to these Pharisees, and he's trying to explain who he is. And so he says in verse 7 of John chapter 10, uh, I am the door. I am the door in, in verse 7, right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door. Now, sheep, you know, often stayed in a pen, and the pen had a gate or a door, and Jesus said, I'm that door. I'm the one who allows the sheep to come into the safety of being in the sheep pen. And uh, it's a metaphor uh, that Jesus uses to explain who he is. He is the way inside the pen, and inside the pen, it's safe. Inside the pen, the sheep rest. Inside the pen, the pe uh, sheep have peace, and so forth. And Jesus is saying that that peace and security in, in being a part of the kingdom of God only comes through him. A little bit later, in John chapter 14, you know Jesus, another I am statement, I am, right, the way, the truth, and the life Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I think it's the most offensive thing Jesus said. Nobody comes to the Father 
but through me. There aren't many ways to God. There's one way to God. And uh, even a little later after that, in the book of Acts, Peter is on trial with the Jewish uh, council, and uh, there he says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we might be saved. I am the door, Jesus says. I am the way to the safety and security that only God uh, can supply. And then uh, I'm the way in, you know, to all that uh, is represented by the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11 in John chapter 10, Jesus goes on and he uses the second metaphor. And uh, he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I'm the door to the way in. And I'm the good shepherd that takes you out of the pen and leads you through life to pasture and safety and so forth. I am not only the door and the way into the kingdom of God, but I am the good shepherd. And um, when you think about this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm not only the way into the kingdom of God, into God's family, but I'm also the shepherd or the leader who will lead you out of the pen and into the world and through the world and ultimately uh, up into heaven. And so in verse 4 of John chapter 10, uh, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because the sheep recognize his voice. You know, it's true, right? You probably know this, but uh, a bunch of different shepherds put all their sheep in the same pen And in the morning, when they're going to go out and find pasture and so forth, they just speak, and all their own sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. And they don't listen to the other shepherds who are calling them, and all the right sheep find the right shepherd and go. And Jesus says, when I'm your good shepherd, you'll recognize my voice, and you'll know, and you will not listen, you know, to the voices of others who would lure you away. Now, in between these two metaphors, I am the door and I am the good shepherd, is our verse for the summer, uh, kind of our theme verse, where Jesus says this in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus says, have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. I've come to give you a whole new life And it's a life of abundance. Um, It'd be great if we could memorize this over the summer, right? It's a great verse. It's got a lot of different tangents that we'll go off uh, on over the summer. But this is a great verse to memorize. And I want to suggest to you that even though Jesus is talking to the Jewish people, in verse 16, we can recognize he's also talking directly to us. In verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not a part of this fold. I have other people, Gentile people, who are not a part of the Jewish you know, nation of Israel, not a part of uh, the Jewish people. And uh, he says in verse 16, uh, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. I have other sheep, Gentile people. He's thinking about us as he's talking about being the door and being the shepherd. And uh, he's thinking about us. Now, In John 10.10, in this kind of theme verse, um, I'm captured by the word abundantly. 
And I immediately, when I thought about this, you know, I'm immediately asking myself, you know, am I living an abundant life? What is this life that Jesus came to give? And what does it mean that it's abundant? Um, am I living an abundant life? And uh, I think this goes uh, all the way back um, to the fact that, remember, uh, uh, when one of our other missionaries was with us, Modal, and he talked about the fact that in Genesis chapter 12, God kind of gave his vision for the future. And God basically said, hey, my business in this uh, world for the course of history is to bless all the families of the earth, all the ethne, all the different groups, to bless the ethne of the earth. That's what God's vision for the future from Genesis chapter 12 uh, has been. And so Jesus comes and says, I'm here to bless you, to bring that abundant life. And uh, I ask the question, you know, are, am I and are we uh, living that abundant life that Jesus wants to give us? And so the Greek word for abundance is actually made up of two different words. And um, when you uh, look them up, you find out that the first word uh, that uh, contributes to the word abundance means to rise up in waves, to rise up in waves. So kind of like the beach, right? Like waves in the ocean. Uh, Barb and I love the beach. We go there on vacation, and part of the attraction is the waves and the sound that they make and the fresh air that they, you know, put into the air and so on and so forth. And uh, we've never been to the beach where there's been no waves. Now, sometimes the waves are more intense than other times. Sometimes they're a little flat. You know, but there's always waves. They always keep coming. They rise up. And uh, if you've been out in the ocean, you know that you know, uh, there's always waves in the ocean. And so the first part of this word, abundance, that comes from these two different words, I think means that the life that Jesus came to give us keeps coming. You don't have to ever worry that it's going to dry up somehow. And I I think that's uh, pretty significant. Now, yes, sometimes stronger than others and so forth, but the life that comes from Jesus never dries up. When Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he said, you know, this God who began a good work in you will see it through until completion. You don't have to ever worry that the life that God has come to give us, the life that Jesus has come to give us, unlike our physical life, which is temporary, The life that God gives us is eternal, right? And you don't have to ever worry. It will uh, never not be there. It's like waves at the ocean. Uh, Jesus said, "I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said in the Great Commission, I'll be with you always. I'll be with you. The abundant life is a life that just keeps coming, which I think is huge because it means that we can Count on it. No matter what happens in the future, you can know that this life that Jesus came to give us will meet you. And it's eternal life. Jesus said, you know what? I'm the resurrection. John chapter 11, again, another I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? He that follows me never dies. Your body dies, but this life that Jesus came to give us never dies. It's eternal Even when our bodies give out, that life will be there on the other side, filling our souls. Even when our bodies 
give out. The abundant life that Jesus came to give uh, fills our souls. The second word that goes into making this word abundant, that is translated abundant in our scriptures, the second word uh, that contributes to this uh, is the idea of overflow. The idea of surplus. The idea that the life that Jesus gives us satisfies us and then flows out of us into other people's lives. That's the abundant life. It's not a life that dead ends in us. It keeps coming and it fills us, it satisfies us, it gives us contentment. I love it when the Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, Timothy, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. The life that Jesus gives satisfies us. You know, and so I ask myself the question, do I live a satisfied life? Am I satisfied with the life that, that I'm living, you know? And um, the idea of overflow means that the Christian life that Jesus came to give is not, I'm just squeaking by. While I'm hanging by the skin of my teeth, you know, to get through and try to... No, the life that Jesus came to give is abundant. Uh, it fills me, it satisfies me, and it impacts other people's lives as it uh, satisfies me. And um, I, I kind of ask the question, right? Uh, do I have enough grace coming from Jesus into my life that I can give grace away to the next person? Does God love me enough to make me satisfied and content so that I can love the next person? Does God forgive me enough for my knuckleheadedness so that I can forgive the next knucklehead that comes into my life? Do I have the abundant life? Right? Does it satisfy and meet my needs so that I can spill over into the lives of the people around me, the abundant life. Do I have enough truth that God has entrusted to me so that I can be an ambassador to the rest of the people in the world who don't know the truth about God? Do I have enough truth about marriage and what God intended it to be so that I can go and stand in front of thousands of people and tell them the truth? Because it so has filled my life that I have it to offer, to give to them. Do I have enough joy? Has God put enough joy in my life? Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do I have enough of the fruit of the Spirit in my life that it's abundant, that it fills me, satisfies me, and then spills out into other people's lives? The abundant life. It's more than just uh, dead ending, you know? Uh, and here's uh, you know, a, a couple of promises that uh, God has made uh, about this abundant life through the scriptures here. Just a couple of Philippians chapter four and verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Now, notice, it doesn't say my God will supply all your needs out of his riches and glory. First of all, how rich is God? 
He's pretty rich. He owns it all. He created everything. It's all his. We manage for him, right? He entrusts stuff for us, his stuff, to manage for him. But the truth is, God gives not out of his riches, but according to his riches. Now, you know, I've spent some time over the years asking people for money to support uh, different missionary endeavors, different projects, uh, to advance the kingdom of God and so forth. And I can tell you there's a world of difference between people who give out of their abundance and people who give according to their abundance. And we've got a problem because we live in the Gold Coast. We here in America, we here in America first of all, you know, we have a very small percentage of the population, world population, and a very large percentage of the world's wealth. And when we live in the Gold Coast of the United States, we're even in deeper trouble. God gives to us according to his riches, not out of his riches, but according to his riches. It's such a great uh, thing to think about how blessed we are. Uh, Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and verse 8. Listen to this. God is able to make all grace, here's our word, abound. God is able to take his grace, his undeserved favor, and make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in good works. God's grace is going to abound and overflow your life so that through good works, you're going to abound and overflow into the lives of the people around you. God's able to do that because he gives according to his riches. God gives us the abundant life in order that it might overflow. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for much. You're the spice of the earth. You're the, remember when we studied the Israelites and God said, I'm going to bless the socks off of you so that all the people in the world are going to look at you and say, wow, who's your God? And now God wants to give the church, you know, this abundant life so that the world around us will experience the overflow of the life that God uh, entrusts to us. You're the light of the world. Don't let your light not shine. Don't put it under a bushel and so forth. The abundant life is God's life. Three observations about the abundant life, and then I promise I'll be done. Number one, the abundant life is stronger than your circumstances. The abundant life is not dependent on the circumstances of life. It's stronger than circumstances. You know, Jesus is a realist, and he came into the world, and uh, he suffered like we suffer. He understands. We get knocked down, but we don't get knocked out. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, there's a whole thing comparing Jesus, you know, with some of the uh, ideas that the Jewish people had. And in verse 10, it says, It was fitting that God, he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. When God allows trials and testings and when we get knocked down in life, it's designed to test us and it's not because God doesn't know what's in us. You know, it's because we need to know what we're made out of. 
And we need to know, are we experiencing this abundant life? And this abundant life is stronger than circumstances. And it's not a life of pretense. It's not about pretending to be better than we really are. It's about being real and about being authentic. And uh, it's about understanding, you know. Um, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 13, uh, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to everybody. Hey, we're all in this world and we all suffer, including Jesus, and all kinds of things come into our life. But God is faithful and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. The abundant life that God wants to give us is a life that's stronger than circumstances. Second, the abundant life uh, is uh, a life that's stronger than our own understanding. You all know probably Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't trust yourself more than you trust God. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way I was brought up. That's just the way, you know, I'm wired. Well, you could have the abundant life which would rewire the way you think. You could be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's stuff from God that you don't know about that when you find out about it, it will change everything in your life. It's called the abundant life. Jesus called it the abundant life. And it's stronger than our understanding. Uh, in Philippians, Paul talked about a peace that passes understanding. It's beyond our ability to understand. You know, there's some mystery in living a life with God, right? There's some mystery involved. We don't understand everything. It's based on trust. It's based on faith. And uh, we don't always understand everything. There are some things I don't understand. I don't understand how I eat food and it turns into energy. I don't understand that. Tom might understand it, scientist. But I don't understand it. Yet I live very comfortably with that every day. <laughs> you know what? Uh, tomorrow, my wife and I will be married 52 years. Okay? So, no, no, no. I just have to tell you, there's some things I don't understand about her. <laughs> there's some mystery in our relationship. I don't understand how she thinks. 52 years, I still don't get it. And I don't understand, you know, she understands me. I think I must be pretty simple because she can know what I'm thinking before I even say it. But I don't understand her. You know, she's somewhat of a, a mystery. Yet we live comfortably together. But it's a mystery. There's, there's all this, I've even read books about trying to understand women. In fact, you know what? Uh, I was downstairs in your library and I saw a book, one of my favorite books. You know what it's called? Men Are Like Waffles. Women are like spaghetti. It's one of my favorite books. It's a great book, The Difference Between Men and Women. Now listen, we're living in a generation that's all confused about gender. See, and we got the truth, and God's filling us with it, and we get these exemplary marriages and so forth, where Christ comes in and does a renovation and so forth, and that's got to spill over into the culture in which we live. So that people can know the truth and, and can know, you know. Uh, there's an element of mystery. Here, here's a, uh, this is a legend. It's not biblical, but it's a legend about Moses that helps us understand uh, what I'm talking about here in terms of a mystery. 
There's a legend that's come down uh, through the ages about Moses, who one time sat down alongside of a well to meditate, to think. Okay, you can picture Moses doing this. And while he was sitting there thinking and meditating, uh, a stranger stopped by to get a drink of water from the well. And as he did, his purse, which was filled with uh, a wad of gold, fell out of his belt into the sand. And the man departed, got his drink of water, and took off. Shortly afterwards, another man passed by the well, and he saw the purse in the sand, and he picked it up. He had a purse of gold. Later, the third man stopped to assuage his thirst, and he went to sleep in the shadow of the well. Got on the shady side of the well and fell asleep. Meanwhile, the first man discovered that he lost his purse, and he assumed he must have lost it at the well. So he went back to the well, and he found the sleeping third man, woke him up, and uh, began to demand his money back. And an argument ensued. The sleeping guy was like, what are you talking about? You know, became irate. The first guy killed the third guy at the well, murdered him. Whereupon Moses says to God, you see, God, that's why people don't believe you. There's too much evil and injustice in the world. Why should the first man have lost his purse and then become a murderer? And why should the second guy have gotten a purse full of gold without having worked for it? And why should the third guy, be completely, who's completely innocent, be murdered? Whereupon God answered. He said, I'll give you an explanation. I can't do it every time, but here it is. The first man was a thief's son. The purse contained money stolen by his father from the father of the second man who found the purse. And when he found it, the second man, uh, he found the purse. He only found what rightfully belonged to him. The third guy was a murderer, okay? But his crime had never been revealed who received from the first man the punishment that he deserved. He was a murderer, and so he was murdered. In the future, God says, believe that there is sense and righteousness in what transpires even when you don't understand. Even when it's a a, a mystery. Even when we can't put it all together, trust God, Romans 8, 28, that he is at work bringing all things together for good for those that really love him. The abundant life is not dependent on circumstances. It's stronger than our own understanding. And third, I want to say to you that the abundant life is for all believers. All believers. It's not for some special elite group of believers. It's not for some particular personality type of believer. No Christian should ever say, I'm just happy to get by. When Jesus comes and says, listen, I've come here to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. We should not be content to just get by. Now, in closing, can I just suggest to you that there is one book of the Bible that's actually devoted to helping us understand and make sure that this life that Jesus came to give us is actually in us. It's a book that uh, either it will give you It's a short book. It'll either give you assurance 
you know, that you've changed from who you used to be, and it's because the Spirit of God has taken up residence and is, you know, at work in us, or it will rattle your cage. It's the book of 1 John. In 1 John, uh, John writes this book and begs us to tell ourselves uh, the truth about what's going on in our life. And there's all kinds of verses, but uh, um, 1 John 5 Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know for sure that you have this eternal life, this abundant life, this life that Jesus came to give us. And so when you read through the uh, book of 1 John, uh, here's an assignment for this week. Read through the book of 1 John and note every place where John gives an alternative and, and just says, you either are this way or that way. Uh, let me just, uh, you know, I, I could just read a couple here. I know we're out of time. Um, for example, in uh, John, 1 John 2 and verse 15, he says, Look, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. <laughs> time out. Nobody can have two firsts in their life. You either love God first and he's your priority and he's the source of your life or you're trying to get life out of the world somehow. And we're beating ourselves up and running ourselves ragged to try to suck the life that only Jesus can give. Remember, he's the only door into this life. And we're running around trying to make this life work so that we are satisfied and content. And, you know, if I could just get the next bigger house, if I could just take the next bigger vacation or buy the next bigger car, or, you know, if I could just find a better spouse than I've got, or whatever it might be, it doesn't work. And John tells us, look, you've got to ask yourself, what's most important to you in love? What's first? Because you can all, nobody can have more than one first. And, and it's, you know... Uh, so, and he goes on. I mean, there's all kinds of statements like this. Uh, by this, it is evident who the children of God really are and who the children of the devil really are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. I mean, if you sit down and you start going through John, John, I have a theory, and it's just mine. I've never read it any place, and I don't know if I'm right, and when I get to heaven... It's one of the questions I want to ask, but I wonder if John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, didn't write 1 John after he wrote Revelation. Because he has this tremendous experience in heaven and he comes back and he's like, man, it's all true. I've been there and I've written to you about it and I'm going to write, you know, before I die, Listen, make sure that this life that Jesus came to give is actually inside of you. Because it's everything. It's everything. And Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. You can trust me. I will lead you where you need to go. And I will fill your life to overflowing. And you will be witnesses for me to all the rest of the world in your generation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful that you're a speaking God, that you're not silent, that we don't have to speculate, that we don't have to guess what you would be like. We don't have to say, well, I think God would be X, Y, Z. No, you've revealed yourself, and you've revealed what you think and how you think, and you've revealed what your will is. You've revealed to us what the future is going to be, what's going to happen to us. Wow. 
And so we're thankful. And so, Father, as we embark upon this uh, you know, verse about the life that you've come to give us, just help us. We pray that your spirit would lead us. We pray that we'd be open, Father, for you to do a work in our life and that this summer would be a meaningful summer spiritually, that we would grow and mature and change and that, uh, Father, we would be overflowing for your sake in whose name we pray, amen.